0: And I hope you do. Why? Because we're going to use them. And because it's only through the Word of God that we hear God speak. His Spirit uses His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 20. John 20, 19-31. John 20, 19-31. This is part two of a two-part lesson on a close encounter. What happens when a peaceful, phlegmatic encounters the risen Christ? What happens when a peaceful phlegmatic encounters the risen Christ? Well, I'll tell you this, it will take more effort for the close encounter to take place. In fact, uh, due to the tendency of a, a quiet will of iron and stubbornness, it's going to take two resurrection appearances to get through the stubborn unbelief of the Apostle Thomas. And so the structure of this passage, we said two weeks ago, is uh, it's one story that's made up of two appearances that's focused, first of all, on Thomas's absence. And so look in your Bibles at chapter 20, verses 19 through 25. 19 through 25. Let's read that. So when it was evening... On that day, the first day of the week, that is Resurrection Sunday, the first Easter, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fears of fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, what? Peace be with you. And when he had, when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, because he knows these guys are not hard of hearing, but hard of believing. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Great reminder that Christ doesn't reveal himself to us for us to sit, sour, soak, and just have a spiritual experience, but to go on a spiritual mission. He has a purpose for you. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. In other words, when through the gospel, when you preach the gospel and forgiveness and the gospel is received and you grant forgiveness, it's granted in heaven. When the gospel is rejected and you declare condemnation on those who don't believe, that's set in heaven as well. But the key to this first appearance, verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which means uh, twin, more than likely he was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and unless I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, that's the first appearance. So, what's interesting is verses 26 to 31, one story, two appearances. The second appearance, and that's what we're going to study today, notice it says, after eight days. And so, We have a second appearance. Well, we'll get to that. Let's just read it. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, "'Peace be with you.'" Sounds familiar. Then he said to Thomas, first time absent, this time present, "'Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side.'" And do not be unbelieving, but believing. So we'll leave it right there. Well, let's look at our, what we saw. So last week, the first appearance, which is verses 19 through 25, we saw it's a room of conflicted followers. <laughs> The eleven were believing but doubting. There's the conflict in their hearts. Believing but doubting. Just like us, we believe these things and yet we doubt them. They were believing and doubting and yet Thomas was a difficult disciple. He wasn't just uh, doubting, he was difficult. And so we saw in that first story, the ten were locked out of faith in the living Lord by fear. They are locked into a room, which is a literal room they're in, out of fear of persecution from unbelievers, and yet it's a metaphor for what's going on in their heart. They are locked out of faith. They've already heard firsthand accounts. Jesus has risen. In fact, they've heard two of them. They should be believing this. They should be rejoicing. They should be headed to Galilee, but they're locked out by fear. Secondly, Jesus appears in the midst of their fear to increase their faith, by bringing them peace. And we said last week, Jesus is always present with his fo- uh, followers in spite of all obstacles. Locked doors, persecution doesn't keep Jesus out. He's present with us in our trials. Secondly, he's always has a purpose for his followers. He doesn't just give us peace to make us happy. He gives us peace so that we can fulfill his purposes. And then thirdly, Jesus always has power to enable his followers. So we saw that last week. And the key thing is Jesus is absent and chooses to be a difficult and chooses to be difficult. So he's like, we don't know we're not told what he's doing or why, but the whole story, once you get to the whole story, it seems like due to his His persistent, stubborn unbelief, he said, I'm out of here. And I think it's due to his personality as well. We saw that he's called Doubting Thomas. That's how he's known often. And that's really, we see that. he, He has the tendencies of a pragmatist, a pessimist, and a realist, and an existentialist. You name it, people you encounter today, Thomas, the story of Thomas can relate because he wanted to see, to touch to feel. That's very common in today's world. Very postmodern, very uh, existential. Unless I see it, unless I can experience it, it's not real. And yet Jesus is trying to take him out of that, trying to deliver him out of that. And so we see that more than doubting Thomas, he was demanding Thomas. He was demanding Thomas. And uh, he was just... He was a pessimist. He, he simply refused to believe and he starts stating demands instead of trusting and obeying according to God's demands. He He's making conditions instead of making a confession. He is taking it like skeptics do. I don't care how much answers you give to a skeptic, they always have another question, right? No matter how many evidences you present, they want more proof. And that's exactly what Thomas is doing. And so his spirit was wrong. We saw that in this statement, unless I do these things, I will not believe he has a demanding spirit, a self-centered spirit, an unbelieving spirit, a proud spirit. Let me stop and say this. If you're, don't raise your hand, but do you have a skeptic in your life? Do you have a relative, a coworker, or a loved one that is persistent in their unbelief? This is what you're up against. You're up against a demanding spirit, a self-centered spirit, an unbelieving spirit, a proud spirit. Do you think one more book is going to open that spirit up? Do you think one more argument, one more, uh, you know, gospel presentation by you? Well. God could use all things. What I'm trying to say is, look, you're not going to reason someone out of that. God's got to deliver them. And He uses the gospel. He uses you. He uses arguments. He uses evidence. He uses uh, books and tracts, church services, you name it, podcasts. He'll use anything. But please understand, we've got to be praying that God would change hearts. Amen? It's only God that's going to do that. And it's only... Because, guess what? For a whole week, Thomas is listening to the other uh, ten disciples. We saw him. You should have seen him. He showed us everything. He showed us the nail prints. He showed us... He ate. And and he wasn't a ghost. I mean, he listened to that for a week. How did it work for him? How did it work for him? No, nothing's changing. It's going to take the risen Lord, to penetrate that hard heart. And the good news is he can do it. Isn't that good? And he will meet the skeptic where they are and change them. So that's pretty exciting. So let's see it. Here's what he needs. He still needs a convicting encounter with the risen Lord. He needs a convicting encounter. So as you share good news and show love to a skeptic, you pray that they would have a convicting encounter with the risen Lord. As you share your testimony, as you be friends, some of you are very good friends with unbelievers, which is tremendous, but you have been sent on a mission, and that mission is to share the gospel so that they have a convicting encounter with the risen Lord. So here's what's going to happen. In the rest of the passage that we read, Thomas is going to be honestly confronted For a humbling purpose. So let's look at this convicting encounter. What will it look like? Thomas is honestly confronted for a humbling reason or purpose. And it's going to be humbling. So let's look at 26 through 31. We read the first part of that. Notice in verse 26, the whole key is set up. The appearance is set up in verse 26. Notice, this is the living Lord's repeat performance. I mean, this is a repeat performance set up and and made, made for what one person? Thomas. Now, isn't that amazing? I thought he was the skeptic. I thought he was the stubborn one. Why is Jesus being so gracious? Whoa. Because that's the kind of Savior he is. Isn't that beautiful? Now, is he all soft and, and mushy? Is Jesus all soft and it's all compassion? Oh, Thomas, I understand. No, he, he's compassionate to do this for him, but it's going to be challenging. It's going to be humbling. And it's going to be confrontational. And in a sense, he's going to throw Thomas's words right back in his face. So let's take a look at it. What happens? The living Lord's repeat performance for Thomas's sake. So look at first verse 26. First of all, it all happens on the same day, after eight days. Well, what's that mean? Sunday, but one week later. Sunday, but one week later. Now, if you'll read commentaries and those kind of things, eight days, and you, if you think like we do in our culture, you'll count, okay, well, Sunday, it happened the first time on Sunday. So, eight days, you count Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you arrive at Monday. So, there are some who say this took place on Monday. Did I count that out right? I think so. What, what was it? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, see, eight days. But the way the Hebrew culture, the way the Jews of that day counted days, they counted the first day and the last day as one day. And so you start counting from Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday is the eighth day. This happened one week later on Sunday. Okay, so it's the same day, the Lord's day. Secondly, it's the same people. His disciples were again. So it was definitely the 10 now plus Thomas, 10 plus Thomas, and perhaps other disciples. Because the first time, it was more than just the uh, 11. It was other disciples as well. But it was the same people. Thirdly, same situation. It's inside locked doors. Now, what does that tell you? About the other ten who believed a week earlier, do what, Carmen? Yeah, they they they're in need. Have they moved? Have they been on mission? Has anything? You're, you're left with the impression that they have the information. They believe it in a sense. But they're, in some ways, no different than time. So here's the thing. You're like, boy, I'm glad I'm not a skeptic. Oh, really? Well, what do you know about the Lord that you're, not, that you're stubbornly not per, uh, applying? See, is it just head knowledge? What do you need to be applying? See, that's really faith is put into action. And, and so it's very interesting. It's the same situation inside with the doors shut. It's the same manner of appearance. He came and he stood in their midst. He stood in their midst. Same manner. So it's the exact repeat performance. He stands in their midst. The risen Lord who uh, has a physical body and yet can beam up and beam down better than Scotty in Star Trek. All right? And it's the same message. What does he say to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Even you, Thomas, even you, the skeptic, even you, ten who believe but aren't applying yet, peace be with you. There's one difference, and what's the difference? And Thomas was with them. He was present to be confronted. Thomas was present to be confronted by the risen Lord. In fact, I I showed you just how simple The uh, text is, in the first appearance, he came. Second time, he came. First appearance, he stood. Second time, he stood. First appearance, he said. Second appearance, he said. But in that first appearance, he showed them the nail scars. But in the second one, he says to Thomas. And he doesn't just show, he confronts and he challenges his unbelief. Isn't that wonderful how the Bible And you guys can study this. You can look and observe this in your own Bible. You just need to read the story, get a pen and paper, and observe differences. Number two, the living Lord's honest confrontation. So what comes, this is all set up in the exact same way, giving us the impression, Thomas, you should have been there the first time, but in my grace, I'm giving you a second chance. And so his honest confrontation comes in verses 27 through 28. And he says to Thomas, and he confronts those same aspects of his hard heart, are the very things that he confronts. So notice, he confronts his demanding spirit. Jesus goes right, he doesn't dance around it, he doesn't say, Oh, it's okay. You know, it's all right. I just love you no matter what. No, he, he goes right to the heart and he, he confronts his demanding spirit. Why does he say, how do we know that? Verse 26 or verse 27, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side. What do you know about that? Where, where do, why do those, where, where have we seen those words already? what yeah it was exactly these are the very words guess what jesus heard and saw everything not only in thomas's heart but in his words hey jesus right here right now he's here when you're not in this building he's here Monday through Saturday. He's present with you and with me. He sees all that we see. He hears all that we say. He knows what's going on in our heart. This is scary good, (laughs) okay? But it's scary, and it should be convicting, all right? So, he confronts. Start reaching your finger. I like how the message paraphrases. It It says, then he focused his attention on Thomas, take your finger and examine my hands take your hand and stick it in my side okay i mean these are these are that's the tone i mean these are strong words because you know what when you have a hard heart it takes heart, it takes love compassion mercy but it also takes strong rebuke to break through if there's going to be breakthrough jesus takes thomas up on his stubborn demands the 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 wording here. The wording is start. It's a sharp command that says start putting, start putting uh, your hands in. And so if the idea is Jesus is now here, and he's like, okay, Thomas. You know, you you had these big demands. Well, what do you think, Thomas? Just oh, hey, you know, I was just waiting for this opportunity. Could you stick your hand out? Because I really, I'm sincere. I no. It reveal. He's insincere. It's just easy to make demands of God when we think he's way up there and not realize that he's right here. And so Jesus says, all right, here I am. It's time to man up. Start poking around. Come, start shoving it in here. Check it out. This is what you wanted. Wow, start doing this. Number two, he confronts his self-centered spirit. See, Thomas, it was all about him. The other, the other ten said, hey, we've seen him. We've seen him. And he's like, unless I see him, unless I put my hands. Well, Jesus just meets him right there in his self-centeredness and says, okay, Thomas, we're all gathered here, but it's all about you. So you take your hands. You take your, your finger. It's all about you. So... He's confronting. He uses his exact same words. He says, Come examine. Come experience. You're the existentialist. You're the pragmatic. You're the realist. Now here you are. I'm presenting myself as a science experiment for you to dissect. Dissect away. Third, he confronts his unbelieving spirit. And that's what's powerful at the end of verse 27. You see, Jesus doesn't really intend for for Thomas to touch him. He doesn't really intend for him to do it. He would, I believe, allow him to do that. But the point is at the end of verse 27, do not be unbelieving but believing. And it's hard to translate what the original means in there because what it means is stop this unbelief that you're already doing and start being the believer that you claim that you are, so it's very confrontational, very challenging, and it's the heart of the issue. So, if you've got some skeptics in your life, or, you, or like all of us, you have some skeptical tendencies in your life, there comes a point where evidence is is no longer useful. There's a comes a place where where just compassionate patience is no longer useful, there comes a point where you just have to confront an individual and say, look, stop being unbelieving. Start believing the gospel. God has been gracious. He's risen from the dead. He died for your sins. He's here and he will welcome you into his family. But you have to stop this demanding and start believing. Have you ever witnessed to someone like that? I have, and it bears fruit. It's built on a relationship. It's built on long suffering. It's built on a lot of patience and kindness. But there comes a time where you know, and uh, uh, Jim Jim wasn't this way as well, we won't make turn you into Thomas here. But Jim Jim sat right there for two years and 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 listened to me teach for two years, and then we went to McDonald's, didn't we? Uh, right over here across the street, went to McDonald's. He sat on one side of the table, and I sat on the other, and I drew an imaginary line on the table, and I said, Jim, it's time to cross over. you got to cross over. you got to believe. And he wasn't a skeptic, but the point is there has to be, and then God in his grace has to enable one's heart to be humbled and say, I believe. And God did that, and Jim's been a transformed man. And now he sits as a believer, not as a Isn't that beautiful? Can we say yay God on that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's do that. This is awesome stuff. Confronts, so he confronts the unbelieving spirit. Now does this mean Thomas was in the process of losing his salvation? What's he, what do you mean, stop being an unbeliever and start being a believer? Well, this raises a really difficult question, but I'm going to throw it out there because we try not to avoid things in this class. We want to introduce you to some of the conflicts. The question is, when did the disciples get saved? I mean, were they saved in the Gospels? Or Were they only saved after Acts two when they received the Holy Spirit? Uh, weren't they were they already believers before they met Jesus like Abraham? Were they old? T- you know, so those are great questions to ask and kind of think through and kind of have it blow your mind and blow some of your categories. But no one can ha- really have a definitive answer. If they had died, these uh, many of these disciples. I'm not convinced all of them. Matthew, no. But I think Peter, John, if they had died before they had met Christ, they would have been born, they would have been saved Old Testament believers, right? Then when they started following Jesus, at least 11, not all of them, if they had died somehow before Jesus had died and resurrected, I think they, they'd been saved believers. But the point is, just like in our lives, did you know everything there was to know about Jesus the first day you got saved? Do you now, if you've grown in the Lord, do you ever look back and wonder, did I even believe, did I even know enough to be saved? You see what I'm saying? You continually, there is a point, there is a point where you cross from unbelief to belief. Are you hearing me? There is a point where you know enough of the gospel... Enough of who Jesus is and what He has done for you that you cross from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light. But you will continually, the Lord is present now in your life. You're hopefully getting under the Word of God. You're learning more about Him. And as your knowledge grows, your faith grows, doesn't it? and you're you're it's like you're, you're you're not getting saved over and over but you're confronted and saying wow that simple gospel i need you know that gospel's growing the god i'm following's growing his claims on my life i'm understanding them more and it's taking more faith it's taking greater obedience i you know and, and that's what i think is happening here but here's the point was Jesus in the process of losing his salvation? No, he was in the process of proving he really was a true believer. T- Jesus is saying, Thomas, you say these things, but you're, you're acting, you're thinking, and you're demanding like an unbeliever. It's time to step up and prove who you really are. Stop being unbelieving and start being believing. Jesus does here what has become politically incorrect in Christian circles. He questions Thomas's faith. I mean, he was sincerely questioning. Now, does he know? Yes, he knows. He's not questioning so that he can find out. He's questioning so who can find out? So Thomas can find out. So he's questioning his faith, he confronts his hard heart. Stop this. Start this. And he challenges Thomas to examine his heart and what he really believes and prove who he believes and what he is really trusting in. These are things that are increasingly thought to be off limits. Hey, you shouldn't question my faith. You shouldn't confront my hard heart. You shouldn't challenge me because I'm a believer. Well, okay, but you're not living like one. And so he challenges. The same things in the, in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians, a church of professed believers. Here's what he says. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. That's exactly what, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail the test? 2 Peter 1.10. Peter, one of the guys in that room that, that Sunday, said this to other believers. Therefore, brethren, be all, more the, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. He's saying the same thing. You've got to check who you really trust in him. And is that being demonstrated? Finally... He confronts and breaks his proud spirit. He confronts and breaks the proud spirit. And we, we know that because in verse 28, look in your Bibles, verse 28, Thomas responds and look at what he says. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and and my God. Whoa, one of, the great, one of the greatest skeptics in the New Testament makes one of the greatest confessions of faith in all the Bible. My Lord and my God. Now notice how Jesus amps answers. Uh, Jesus says, or how Thomas answers. Jesus says to Thomas, stop believing, or stop being unbelieving, start being believing. And Thomas' response isn't, I believe. See, we would expect him to say, I believe, but he doesn't say, I believe. What does he say? What? My Lord and my God. He says more. He's not making a mere mental decision to trust Jesus as this kind of abstract out there Savior as an insurance policy in his back pocket. He's like, Whoa, this isn't about just saying I believe in you. It's about your claims on me. I'm making a faith commitment. You're my Lord and you're my God. Isn't that powerful? You say, wow, when I accepted Christ, I was five years old and I didn't say those things. Was I really born again? Sure you were if you understood who Christ was. And what He did, and you placed your faith in Him, and His Holy Spirit came and regenerated your heart, and you were born again? Sure you were. And just like Thomas was probably already a believer, but there comes that point where Jesus, the risen Lord, confronts our hardness of heart. He confronts those areas that even as a believer we're holding on to. And He says, Hey, stop being believing. Stop making demands on me. I am the Lord. You are not. I am compassionately pursuing you. I will meet you where you are, even in your stubborn unbelief. But listen, when I meet you, I will change you. And if your heart's been broken by my grace, then you will say what Thomas said, which is what? My Lord And my God, that's a much bigger thing than saying, I believe Jesus for my salvation. Starts with that, don't get me wrong. It includes that, but it's a faith commitment. Thomas does not merely make a faith decision, but a life commitment by faith. There's a false teaching called free grace soteriology that wants to make every mention of the Lord in the Bible to simply mean deity, not lordship. So when uh, Romans 10, where Paul says you must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, because they want to reduce the salvation experience and the faith response to a mental decision, they say, Lord there just means deity. It doesn't mean he's the boss of your life. You don't have to believe that. Well, listen to what Thomas is saying. My Lord and my God. Well, God means deity, right? Which, by the way, even when you just say deity, that means boss of your life. Okay, But he says, my Lord and my God. And even if that's this fancy figure of speech that's found in literature where you put the two words together, it means sovereign God. You are my sovereign God savior not an insurance policy but the lord of my life and who wouldn't want to love and follow and obey a compassionate lord that's willing to meet you eight days later in your unbelief are you with me on this he's not like hey i want to dominate your life and make you miserable i want to be the dictator of your life you know he's not darth vader he's jesus christ He's like, I'll meet you in your unbelief, but understand when I meet you there, I am Lord and I am God. And so, this beautiful transformation. If you're not careful, you miss it in the text. Here's this guy demanding, unless I, me, my, I, me, my. And now he's like, my Lord and my God. That is beautiful, right? Beautiful stuff. Wow. Okay, so, he's basically saying, I do believe, but it's no longer about my demands on you. It's about your claims on me. Third, the Lord's humbling reason for honestly uh, confronting Thomas. Number three, the Lord's humbling reason for honestly confronting Thomas is found in verse 28. Or, I'm sorry, in um, in verse... uh, uh, verse twenty twenty nine. 29 i think i have verse 28 there and i'm not sure if that's right or not so let's look at it. he he does it to humble thomas to start uh, stop demanding and start listening to the living word you see he says look Listen to me. Stop being unbelieving. Start being believing. And so he's humbling Thomas to stop demanding and start listening. Now, here's what's interesting. Thomas has been listening to the other disciples' witness for eight days. And he hasn't believed. And Jesus is saying, look, their witness should have been sufficient. Stop it. Their witness is sufficient. Stop it. Two, And also it's the witness of his words, Jesus, because Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he's humbling him to stop demanding, start listening, but he's also motivating Thomas to stop doubting and start believing in the living Lord. He's trying to motivate him and he's motivating him in a way different from Mary. Would you agree? He's motivating him in a way different from the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Would you agree? Yeah. And so Mary, it was emotional and it it was to her emotions and it was simply a word, Mary. To the Emmaus disciples, it was to their uh, mental capacities and their understanding. And he explained the whole Bible cover to cover. But to Thomas, he's addressing his will. And he's trying to motivate this guy that has gotten in this rut of stubborn unbelief. And he's trying to you ever been in a rut with a car? How do you get a car out of a rut? Do you gently just try to try to get it out? What do you have to do to get a car out of a rut? You gotta jerk the wheel, don't you? You gotta jerk that wheel and it pops out. And that's what he's trying to do with Thomas's heart. So the Lord wants to do do what? Well, yeah, indeed it will. It depends on who's steering the car, right? Okay, and that's the idea. That's exactly it, Bill. Uh, so, the Lord wants to do the same thing with us. So let's look at it. What, what's this mean for us? I hope you're already picking up on application. Number three, a close encounter of the motivating kind, the living Lord with the living faith. He wants to motivate you through this story to have a living faith, not a dead faith. Thomas had a dead faith. He knew it with his head. He hadn't surrendered in his heart. So, why am I not more motivated to trust the Lord and live with Him on a daily basis? Man, don't glide over that question. How can I motivate others to believe in and live for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well couple things I want you to see. Number one, a living faith is motivated to believe in the living word. A living faith is motivated to believe in the living word. What motivated What motivated Thomas to believe? Please get this. Was it touching? No. Was it seeing? Yeah. But ultimately, what was it? He had to put faith in what he heard Jesus say. He had to put faith in what he heard Jesus said. And that's the good news. It wasn't, he he never touched the Lord. That's not the point of the story. Thomas did get to see. But more importantly, Thomas heard. And that's the good news. Look at John 20, 28 through 29. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, not touched me, because you have seen me, have you believed? He's even questioning that. He's saying, Thomas, you're believing now, not because you saw me, but because you finally got it. You're trusting what I have said. Did you believe me because you saw? Is that the pattern we're to follow? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed who did not see and yet believed. And you know who one of them was? According to John, it was John. John went, ran to the empty tomb and looked, and it says he believed. Peter needed to see. Thomas needed to see. Mary needed to see. But blessed is he or she who hears the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, who without seeing, hears the gospel and believes. That means everyone here that's placed their faith is blessed by Jesus for not having to see it to believe it. Isn't that cool? See, sometimes we go, oh, I wish we had their experience. You didn't want their experience, okay? They're being rebuked. They're being challenged, you know. Realize that by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God, and the people of God, you have heard and you have believed. Isn't that glorious? And we can pray for Muslims around the world to have that same experience. But they've got to hear it to believe it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith in the risen Lord comes as a result of hearing his words. That's the blank there. Faith in the risen Lord comes as a result of hearing his words and personally responding to them. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and con- uh, raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, not just deity but sovereignty. The Lord of your life. A living faith is the result of choosing to trust. Choosing to trust. In the living words of the living Lord. Wow. Listen. Look at verse 30. and 31. Therefore many other signs... Because these appearances were signs, many other signs. In fact, there's seven signs, seven signs in the Gospel of John. And the eighth one is the resurrection. They keep increasing in power, in it, and we've taught a whole series. You can go on uh, uh, we, we are com, and you can go to resources, messages, and you can download all the messages on the seven signs. But the eighth sign, the climactic sign, is the appearance, the resurrection, and the the appearances to his disciples. But listen, there are many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. You don't have to know about all the miracles. You need to know the miracle maker. Believe in miracles, but trust in the Lord. But these have been written. It's the word of God so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So notice in that verse, notice that Thomas's confession is the climax of the gospel of John. And it teaches us at least four things. So remember this. One, Jesus knows me and my deepest needs he called out thomas by name listen he knows your name he knows you he knows your deepest needs needs that you may have not even told your spouse needs that you may have not told another person he knows he knows you and your deepest needs number two jesus understands my biggest hang-ups can we get an amen there Jesus understands my biggest hang-ups, but realize he confronts them. Reach your hand. Put your finger here. Three, Jesus confronts my deep insecurities and my proud boastings. He confronts my deep insecurities. You know that conflict you're having right now? It's Jesus confronting your insecurities. You know that relationship that's stressing you out right now, that work situation? It's Jesus trying to humble your proud boastings. Number four, Jesus invites me to humble myself and become a believer who continues to believe and obey. Jesus invites me to humble myself and not become a believer with a decision in the past that I can then forsake, but to continue to believe and obey. So here's the question. Are you known more for your demanding spirit or for your living faith in the living Lord? Are you known more... For your demanding spirit. God, you better do this. God, this has got to change. And if you don't say it to God, you say it to other people. You lay down threats, lay down, make demands, or... Do you move in those difficult situations and deal with difficult people with a living faith in the living Lord? So, what is the living proof that we're motivated this way? How do we... Oh, I'm sorry. Number two, a living faith is motivated to live for the living Lord. So, we believe, but we also live. That's what makes faith. That's what demonstrates the proof of our faith, is when we don't just believe it, but we live it. Because notice what he says, again... In verse 31, that believing you may have life, believing you may start living. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. We worship the living Lord with our entire lives. Here's the proof that we have a living faith. What's the living proof of a living faith? We will worship the living Lord with our entire lives. And we will witness... With the living world uh, living word to the entire world, okay we'll worship the living Lord with our entire lives, my Lord and my God, you can have all of it, but we witness with the living Word to the entire world, because here's the rest of the story on Thomas. It is said in church tradition that Thomas came to India as a missionary in 52 A.D. This was about 40 years before John even wrote this gospel. He went to India, landed on the west coast, planted seven churches, and and shared the gospel to the east coast of India, from the west to the east, down at the tip of India. He did that in 52, and he was martyred in 72 very likely, the book Gospel of John was written in the 80s and probably even the late, uh, the early 90s. Late 80s, early 90s. Hard to be exact. More than likely, this gospel was written when Thomas had already been a martyred missionary on the continent of India. I think we do him a dishonor to call him doubting Thomas or even demanding Thomas. He is martyred Thomas. And the Christians in India are known as Thomas Christians. Thomas Christians. The the Apostolate of St. Thomas in India is a tradition not written in papyrus, not carved on stone, but buried in the hearts of his spiritual children from whom it can never be removed. From time immoral, these Christians were called Thomas Christians. Christlike. But like Thomas, they went from unbelief to belief. Amen. They went from stubborn skeptics, Hindus Hindus more likely, to Christ-like ones in the tradition of Thomas. Isn't that a wonderful story? And it's a true story. And guess what? You have a spiritual story. And I hope it can follow the entire pattern of Thomas. Amen. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer father we're humbled and uh and encouraged by the story of thomas but we see how awesome compassionate you are you're strong as a as a sovereign savior but you're also compassionate you meet us where we are and i don't know where everybody is tonight today I, i i can't determine that i can't even if i knew everybody's heart i couldn't change it and so i pray lord That you would do what only your word can do. And we would surrender a demanding spirit and replace it with a believing one that says my Lord and my God in all areas of life. Every day. Every moment. Every second. We know that by your grace we can do this. And with your resurrection power, that's not make-believe. It is a real way of life. Though we will fail and stumble and have doubts and even be a skeptic in certain areas of our life, we will always progress if we truly know you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, good stuff. I love the story of Thomas. And I hope you do too.